Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask various people what five significant personal things from their life they would choose to preserve in a time capsule. They choose four things that they cherish and one that they would want to forget from their life by burying it deep in the ground so they never have to think of it again. My guest in this episode, episode 274 of My Time Capsule, is the brilliant actor Tony Way, famous for playing Lenny, the photographer, in Ricky Gervais's brilliant Afterlife. He also played Sir Dontos Hollard in Game of Thrones, and, well, to be honest, he's been in a ridiculous number of other wonderful TV shows and films. Here are just a selection. Ali G. in the House, Finding Neverland, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Sightseers, The Riot Club, Edge of Tomorrow and High Rise. And that's about a third of the films. Then there's the telly, The Fast Show, The Eleven O'Clock Show, Bang Bang It's Reeves and Mortimer, Spaced, Randall and Hopkirk, Black Books, My Family, Hardware, Extras, The Wall, Shooting Stars, Mongrels, Sherlock, Derek, Doctor Who, Not Going Out, The Life of Rock with Brian Pearl, Pompidou, Inside Number 9, Murder in Success Field, Collateral, and Jiri Haji. And I have to confess that I've been choosy. Tony is the sort of actor that everyone wants to work with, and nearly everyone has. So let's find out a bit more about him by hearing the five things from his life he'd want in a time capsule. If we do hear a toddler screaming, it's just my child having or not having a bath. So I'm out of it. But we might hear something in the distance. It's not our problem. Yes. If you hear a woman screaming, it's my wife realising that, that tomorrow we've been together for 44 years. Congratulations. I know. So it's the, the anniversary tomorrow. Tomorrow's the anniversary of us starting to go out. Right. 
Yes, okay. Is that weird? Yeah, that's Which crazy. Which we, we sort of celebrate more than anything else. I, well, I, me and my partner aren't married, mm. but we've been together for... I see, this is the problem. When you don't get married, it's hard to remember. But it's it, yeah. we keep saying 15, but it's more. It must be more years than that. But I think that's more important, definitely. Wedding, you know, getting married is important. But No, it's nice. The meeting is... Yeah. Yeah, without that, nothing else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it was three days before my 21st birthday. Right, yeah, So yeah. it's very easy for me always to yeah. work it out. But amazing how often I sit there thinking, God, it's my birthday soon, and it never occurs <laughs> yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's almost cheating. Yeah. But, yeah, it's still easy to forget. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tony, let's right. find out the things you've written on your list yes. and see what you treasure in life and uh, and the thing you want to get rid of. <laughs> I mean, I have not overthought it. Because I tried to go for the first thing I thought of. Great. For all five. Oh, that's usually right, I think. I think so, yeah. Mm? The first one is, I mean, I know it's an audio podcast, where's that right behind me. It's a playbill. It's a poster for my, well, mine and my friend. Should I get it? You can have a look yeah, at it. Yeah. One sec. I could always take a still, can't I? It's it's an interesting poster <laughs> because it's not quite right. So that's... Oh, uh, uh, brilliant. That's a young me, mm-hmm. a young Reese Thomas, and a young Steve Burge. Uh, we were in a sketch group called Stay Alive Peppy. Yeah. Which, I mean, that, straight away, that title doesn't trip off the tongue. No one remembered it. <laughs> We were adamant we were keeping it. I remember doing an interview. Bob Mortimer was an early champion of ours. Yeah. And I remember doing an interview for like a sort of, our agent had really excellently got us an interview for a TV documentary, despite us, this was, I'll put this down, despite us literally just going to Edinburgh. And in it, Bob was, it was about booze. It was about comedians and booze and him going, so this this group of young lads like beer and they are called, Staying alive, pay pipey, and we'd go stay alive, peppy, and and you're you're sticking with that, are you, lads? And we kept going. We never really got. He was being very polite, but what he was saying is that is one of the worst titles for a sketch group ever. No one's going to remember it. He was quite right because no one does remember. We do, but it's um the reason it's going in. Hopefully, in the capsule is it's sort of that whole time it, it encapsulates being. We were I think nineteen. That was nineteen ninety eight when we went to Edinburgh. Oh, brilliant. In many ways, it was an awful time, but in many ways, it was an amazing time too. We never did the whole run again. Mm. We weren't really a live act as such to start with anyway. We were involved in making videos and writing and all lots of other things. So yeah. someone convinced us that, <laughs> oh, you have to do Edinburgh if you're going to get into comedy. <laughs> I genuinely didn't really know what Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Festival was properly. You've got to go and lose all the money you've made. Yeah, so our agent talked us into losing money, which is not normally what they do. <laughs> but we went up as green sort of 19-year-olds. But this is sort of more, it encapsulates that whole period hmm. of going from a three, just lads in a sixth form in Essex who... I didn't even know you could work in telly. It wasn't something I thought you could do. I thought that was something you watched and yeah. I enjoyed. I loved comedy. I was a big fan, huge fan of comedy, but it never occurred to me that that was a job you could do until our friend, my friend Reese, sort of got us in that world just by being sort of Reese and going out there and asking some people. The nerve of the man. Exactly, yeah. And I don't yeah. think I even realised he wanted to work in TV in any way or as an actor but he got us. He got some work experience. We used to make these funny videos for for ourselves, and before you knew it, 
he'd become friends with Bob Mortar and Charlie Higson of the first show <laughs> and had given them these sort of amateur tapes. And there we were. We were... Wasn't Reese on... Did he work almost immediately work on Shooting Stars? He So what he actually did was he phoned for tickets to see Shooting Stars. But he... Right. He got the wrong number. So he phoned Channel X Productions. Very great <laughs> production company. One of the earliest... Yeah. You know, Jonathan Ross originally set them up, but phoned through to that and got through to the talent booker who would be booking, like, Robbie Williams, whoever, to go on the show, on Shooting Stars. Yeah. And she said, no, you don't phone us for tickets. You phone the BBC box office, whatever it was. Just as she was about to hang up, Reese said, um, have you got any work experience? I'm allowed to do a couple of weeks as part of Sixth Form. And uh, she said, yeah, actually, Shooting Stars is going. If you can do a couple of weeks, you won't get paid. Wow. But come in and be a studio runner. So he did. He was in the office and in the studio at BBC, Television Centre. Before you knew it, yeah, he was on working on Shooting Stars <laughs> and he was being a sort of extra on Shooting Stars. Yeah. He then got asked by Charlie to go and be the sort of key runner on The Fast Show, Series 3. Then he got a regular part in that. Then he was in it, wasn't he? He played um, Swiss Tony's. Tony's assistant, yes. Yeah, I did an episode of Swiss Tony's. I did as well, yeah. It was good fun. Yeah. That was great, that. Yeah, it was great. But then he then said, oh, like Charlie, I think, asked him, said, do your mates actually any good? And he said, well, you've seen the videos. What do you think? And he said, because we need someone to, lads, to play a pop band, like a sort of Oasis sort of band. Mm. And there's no lines. They just have to mime a bit. So we did, went in and did that. And as far as I was concerned, it was like a day trip. It was like a, oh, I got to see Television Centre. I got to see a TV show being made. This is amazing. <laughs> and we went away and thought, what a lovely day. What a thing to remember. And I got a call like the very next day saying, do you want to come back in and be in a Suit You Sir sketch? You'll be rehearsing all week at the Drill Hall. And all of these words, I didn't know what the Drill Hall meant. All these are all things that I know, that no. I know very well now. And you'll be on. And then by the end of that year, we'd done that. We'd done similar on uh, Bang Bang, it's Reeves and Mortimer, because Bob Bob was a big champion of ours. And then by the end of that year, we were that. that's where this comes in. We were in Edinburgh. <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> massively un- unprepared at the assembly rooms doing a, <laughs> doing a show. Yeah. They don't do the assembly rooms anymore, do they? It's a shame. I think they do, but it's very different. I think right. it's all, I think it's also the posher stuff. The, oh, right. Okay. I, what we were doing there, I have no idea. Sometimes having important, famous people backing you can be <laughs> work against you. Because we were going there. We didn't, we'd never done a live show. We didn't know what we were doing. No one knew who we were. And we were in this 150-seater. We should have been at a 20-seater somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we were in like the poshest venue in the Wildman room, yeah. playing to eight people. If that, sometimes <laughs> no one. It was, yeah. I think we all had a breakdown and, uh, but also an amazing experience. But the people who've been through that room, you know, Cliffhanger. I remember playing that right. Cliffhanger, which then became the writers or the, the organisers of Mr Bean. Yes, right. I think the year before us, it was Matt and uh, Matt Lucas and David Williams had done their show, their hit show, the uh, Bernard Chumney show. Yeah. Whatever happened to that pair? I don't know. <laughs> they, so we were com- competing with them. Our show was an absolute mess. We didn't know what we were doing. We had a lot of fun doing it. Mm. Some nights, some nights we had an awful time. <laughs> but yeah, nineteen-year-olds being let loose in Edinburgh. Our show also was on a. You, if you've done Edinburgh, you'll get this. Our show was on at eleven fifteen p.m. Mm-hmm. So we were drunk. The audience was drunk that was there. It was, mm-hmm. and then we'd go on drinking after, obviously, <laughs> after the show. It was a, a completely nocturnal yeah. existence. Yeah. Also, if I, by saying night, we were 19, we hadn't, none of us had gone to university because we'd got this chance to be on TV. And, you know, Charlie Higson said, you can go off and do, we all had degree places ready to go. He said, you can go and do that, but don't, this is Charlie Higson, don't expect to come back exactly where you are now. 
Right. At the moment, you're in. You're in through the door. Most people don't get this far yet. Mm. You might want to see where it goes. You can always go back and do your degree in five years' time. So he t- he gave Reese that advice. We all stupidly followed Reese because <laughs> Charlie wasn't talking about us. It's good advice, I <laughs> but think. But he was right. He was right. Yeah. There was some slow periods in between there, but I don't... I could have gone off and done my English literature degree and... Yeah. Come, never ever come, come back to it, I think. Well, of course, Tony, a lot of people use that going to university to get that in. Absolutely, yeah, of course. Yeah, and I, I because I was so naive and didn't know anything about it and mm. had no inkling it was even possible, it wasn't that, that that's what I was doing. I wasn't going to go there and I don't think join all the drama clubs and, and uh, no. that sort of thing. <laughs> I think I would have just, I don't know, what what do you do with an English literature? Drink. Not very much. <laughs> yeah, drink. There you go. <laughs> so I managed to do that and be on telly. They, they did a bit of both. <laughs> do you remember any of the sketches? We had um, these guys... These were our stars. They were called the Billy Bollocks or uh, <laughs> Alf and Steve Wonder, who were yeah. Essex builders based on a, a real man, actually, who used to say Billy Bollocks all the time. That's the Billy Bollocks. Uh, and he used to always yeah. be talking about money and nicking mm-hmm. a few quid. And I'm not sure his building practices were <laughs> the best. <laughs> but we sort of based it on him. And a lot of our stuff, actually, was people that were around us. But that was their sketch was them dealing with a son who was a bit strange and a bit camp and not really knowing how to deal with it. I'm not sure. I'd love to say it was all done, you know, really well and cleverly. We were writing them age 17 and 18. We probably didn't get all the sensibilities quite right. No. It came from the right place, I think, in our hearts. I think we were still children. Yeah, but at the time, a lot of, I mean, all of that stuff that, that Paul and Charlie were doing. Yeah, yeah. That was absolutely straight from people they'd seen in the street yes. or people they'd worked with absolutely. a few years before. Yeah, yeah. You know, loads of money and all that sort of stuff. That's That's just them all going in and doing plastering. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I always heard that the rumour is that the best Davros was always done by Paul when they did it at the pub. Yeah. And actually, but obviously, the one that's on telly gets to do it. <laughs> at least they got the writing credit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Paul's voices are something else. They're, they just come thick and fast. Absolutely. I actually went up to Edinburgh, I think probably around that time, I was working for Granada Television and I went up to do talent spotting, they said. Right. Which meant I, meant I had the opportunity to go to any show yeah. and buy people drinks and then claim for it. It was one of the best jobs in the world. Fantastic. And, and I organised a party at the end of it. But before that, I'd approached Charlie and Paul to write for a show that we were doing. Mm. So it must have been just before that. It was just before the fast show and they weren't performing at the time. And I said to him, you should perform. You know, you're both good performers. Yeah, yeah. And they both at the time were saying, no, no. But I use that argument that you do, you know, you do Stavros better than Harry. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the Fast Show was my favourite. There was a moment there where I was, I mean, by this point, probably 20 doing, it was was during this Fast Show. Hmm. But because Reese had the key to the door, he was a runner. Runners can go anywhere. They just had the run of TVC. And I walked in and I was filming on the far show. Next door, they were shooting shooting stars. <laughs> Next door to that, they were shooting Nevermind the Buzzcocks. The other <laughs> side, they were shooting I'm Alan Partridge. Yeah. And Top of the Pops was happening. Brilliant. And it was all of my favourite TV shows and Top of the Pops was on. It was like I'd fallen into the telly. It was mad. And you could do that, couldn't you? Absolutely. You could just go along and walk into the studio. And we did. Yeah. Quite I mean, secretly, Reese used to get given a dressing room as well, which is unheard of for a runner because he would be, he'd need someone to get changed because he was in there. <laughs> yeah. But if you had the right dressing room, you'd have a little TV with a video in it 
and he'd put the ring main on and record some rehearsals. So he had some good footage of rehearsals oh, and stuff. Oh, really? But, um, yeah, I don't I hope he's still got it somewhere, but he had some great stuff from... He'd be in sort of working on the fast show, recording something else. <laughs> yeah. I was working on a show uh, at the BBC there when Top of the Pots was on one evening, and I was playing a vicar, mm. and I had the dog <laughs> collar on, and that gave me licence to do almost anything. <laughs> I bet. Yes, yeah, yeah. I went into yeah. the dressing room of um, New Kids on the Block. <laughs> Uh, they turned up in in separate sort of almost armoured vehicle, right? Because there were so many fans outside, and they yeah. all went into one dressing room. And then I knocked on the door as this vicar, and this bloke said to me, "Yeah," and I said, uh, "I wonder if I could just see the boys. I've got um, uh, one of my parishioners wants to have their autograph." And he went, uh, "There's a there's some sort of pastor here who wants to uh, have a word." And they said, "Yeah, okay." And I went in, and they were all holding joints behind their backs. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Do you remember what show you were doing? Yeah, I was doing a thing called KYTV that I Oh, did, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Very good fun. That is the thing. That That's what one used to be one of my favourite things about TVC. If there were some comedy shows on, the costumes you'd see in that little central smoke, where it became the smoking area, didn't it? But yeah. that centre bit of the donut, you'd see all sorts of things and people going through there at any time. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I still love that place. It was great. Yeah, sadly missed. Now, so we're going to put in the show from Edinburgh. Yes. Stay with Peppy. St- yes, you look, you can stay alive, Peppy. <laughs> See, I told you. It's, Bob Morton was correct. That's just to prove that it's the worst title yeah, in awful. the world. I, I don't even remember where it comes from. It was something we came up with in a in like a sixth form <laughs> joke. I think it was written on someone's book in a class or something. <laughs> stay alive, Peppy. I'm, I'm never going to forget it again, no, I promise. No, that's that. Having sat there and struggled to drag it back out of my brain. <laughs> well, what lovely times, though. Great times. Lovely to yeah. be 19 and going up to Edinburgh and, and not giving a damn. Yeah. No no money, but not really caring. No. Because I never had any money anyway, so it didn't no. really make any... It was nothing I could do about it. <laughs> yeah, but fun... Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the things we got up to when we were up there were quite something. I think there were four of us in one room at one point because mm-hmm. we had quite a posh flat because Channel X, the company, we stayed in their flat. Oh, right, yeah. Obviously, as the festival gets cracking and it becomes the TV week, there were people coming up who needed rooms to themselves, grown adults. <laughs> yes. So we just slowly <laughs> got shunted into this tiny room and there were like <laughs> us three and all of our friends just on airbeds. It was disgusting. <laughs> I once shared a cupboard oh in a flat <laughs> with with a man called David Jackson Young, who became a producer at BBC Scotland. Right. But, uh, yeah, we shared a cupboard. Yeah, that's about all you get now in Edinburgh for the money. It's insane. Yeah, it's, I know. <laughs> but brilliant fun. And, of course, the thing is that you, while you're doing the show, you can hardly wait for it to finish, can you? No. Because you've got so many things to do. I've got places to Absolutely, go. Absolutely, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen as many things in terms of art and culture and comedy yeah. in one space of time ever since since then, in that sort of month or three weeks we were up there. Mm. I've been up there since to watch shows and do a bit up there, but I don't think I've ever packed as much in as I did then. Because I think then if you were a performer, you had a pass as well, so you could pre much go everywhere yeah so it wasn't prohibited expensive like it is now to go and see the shows because it's not cheap no i don't know how people do it i mean uh, fortunately nearly everybody who does it now goes as a one person isn't it yes so yeah yeah performing on your own yeah and you can just about yeah break even yeah yeah but the idea of sort of three of you, oh yeah we owed thousands we owed thousands <laughs> yeah yeah we were not a success 
we went very quickly back to doing TV and videos <laughs> after that. <laughs> Although I played the assembly hall and we played the main hall and we sold out for wow, three weeks, I bet. four yeah, weeks. I bet. Yeah. And that's because you knew what you were doing. <laughs> we had no clue. <laughs> okay. Stay alive, Peppy, is in there. Thank you. Um, uh, to be honest, just to keep that away from me as well, because I never want to have to do it again as well, but mm. <laughs> just that memory is so nice. <laughs> so what's number two? Well, this is another This is another harking back thing. It is my, and I wish I had it to hand, like I had this, it's my Dennis the Menace fan club, Smart Club Wallet, with <laughs> two badges and the uh, the membership card. Wow, you were proper. I I mean, it was the one you got. I think it was 38p by the time I signed up. It probably was 5p when it started. I think now yeah. it's probably a few quid. <laughs> but it's, I absolutely adored the Beano. It was, I think, my introduction to proper jokes and comedy. And I loved it. And I think I, what I really want to put in there, but I don't own anymore, is the huge collection of Beano annuals I used to have. Right. That are long since gone. But the one thing I managed to keep of that collection, it was the, the fan club wallet. It's slightly tragic, isn't it, that when you look around your, your life and look at the things you have kept... Yeah. And then you think about the things you've got rid of. <laughs> Nearly always you made yeah, yeah. the mistake of keeping the wrong things. Yeah, I think so. And, I, and they were quite brutally dropped, those Beano. I mean, to be honest, I... What would I be doing with them now? They'd just be taking up some space up mm. in, in my office. But so it's, I'm glad I kept the fan club stuff because I genuinely felt like I was in a club with it. I, I, I adored that magazine so much. I, I used to sit and actually laugh at, you know, I used to sit and laugh out loud, sort of shaking, laughing at the jokes. I think, I don't know, <laughs> age six and up, I think it was. And it was probably until sort of, I guess, watching something like The Young Ones or maybe being allowed to read Viz, mm. it was probably the most anarchic thing. I mean, it's sort of, when you think about the characters of the Beano, they are absolutely insane. The lead character is just this sort of <laughs> Asbo kind of mad. Yeah. Are these kids causing chaos in school? Chaos and with wild animals as their pets. <laughs> it's sort of insane, actually. And they're all getting beaten because I used to collect the old ones. Like, the idea that they're all getting beaten with slippers and yes. canes and stuff was very much in my, on my mind. I don't know if it made me behave better. There's always someone with a black eye. Yeah, exactly. But the the the, the thing itself, I, it was like I was a real treasured thing because the you got two badges. You got the Dennis the Menace badge, and then you got the Nasher badge, which was a furry Nasher head. Oh, brilliant! And then the the wallet was smart. It, was, it wasn't leather; it was plastic. <laughs> but then the the thing unfolded, and there were sort of secret code words and things that you, if you saw another, if you saw another member of the Dennis the Menace fan club, you were supposed to say "ding," and if they knew. It was like being in the Masons. They'd say Dong, which is Dennis. Uh, Dennis is never good. Dennis owns Naughty Nasher, you'd have to say. <laughs> and genuinely, me and about, I think there were three of us at primary school, formed our own Beano Club, we called it. And I think it, we sat once and we went to, <laughs> uh, what was his name? It was Wesley's name. We went to his house. He had a badge-making machine. Brilliant. And we made, we were going to make badges for our club. He only had one badge backing. So we made a badge <laughs> that I think I took. I think convinced them that I, and it had badly written on it, Beano Club or mm. Beano Gang or something. But yeah, I genuinely think it formed a lot of my um, early sort of comedy ideas. And just, it's, I think it's the first thing, genuinely, I thought this is mine mm. and I find this funny. Like my dad had bought me the comic. He obviously knew it was funny, yeah. but I didn't know that. I, there were, 
comedy things I'd watch with my parents and, you know, you'd, you'd laugh. and there'd be, But this was mine. Only I was reading it and I could chuckle away. Mm. And I, as far as I knew, no one else got the jokes. And then I realised <laughs> there was a club of loads of other kids that are getting these great jokes about, you know, mums and dads being silly and yeah. e- eating mashed potatoes and sausages. And, <laughs> yeah. It's a prized possession. I don't quite know where it is, but it, it's safe somewhere. In You've got it somewhere. Yeah, somewhere in the loft. Lovely. Yes. And yeah. did you get extra special privileges? Like, did you get sent things with it? No, I don't think you did. I think for 38 pence, we were already doing well. Yeah. Two badges, two and, badges. A, and a thing. <laughs> and the other things that were on the uh, the membership card were ways to wear the badges. Basically, it was just, you know, on your trousers, on your hat, <laughs> on your jumper. Yeah. They were sort of running out of ideas by then. <laughs> but no, it was a great thing. I loved it. It was being part of that gang despite never meeting another member no. i felt like i was a menace <laughs> you're wandering around saying dong everywhere <laughs> yeah exactly and everyone goes, what? what's wrong with this hoping, child hoping you can bump into leslie phillips so. yes exactly yeah, yeah. when i was this age I, was, I lived on quite a rough estate so just going up to people saying ding and dong probably wouldn't have got me very far <laughs> get you the black eye <laughs> yeah, exactly. ding dong i say <laughs> you what mate <laughs> oh yeah happy days uh, loved it those things that take you as a child into your own private world mm. they are really treasured aren't they yeah and i've got a very very little one now and she can't She's she's only not even three yet, but she I just see her go into the corner and look at books, right? Just pour over them, and she sort of makes up stories mm. that go along to the, and you can see it. It's amazing. You do just go into your own world, and it's great that kids can have that. They need to do that. I love watching kids do it as well. It's, yeah, it's brilliant yeah. to sit back and just keep quiet and let them get on with it. Yeah, yeah. I've got an eight year old at the moment who's just is obsessed with making videos for TikTok. Brilliant. So obviously she's feeding the the Chinese overtake of the world. <laughs> with her information but she has great fun and then I've got a friend whose son she says every day she takes him into next I think and he talks to the little faceless dummies now that that's slightly <laughs> that's sort of the midwitch cuckoo yeah yeah or like a sort of pertwee Doctor Who story yeah. Kind of. <laughs> yeah but he sits there while she's doing shopping he just sits there and just has conversations made up conversations yeah. with them that's fun. Yeah. Very fun. It's what children do. It's no different to talking to a dolly. Yeah, it's the same sort of thing. I, th- I was thinking about the TikTok thing, and I think that that, I was. I think I almost wanted to put in the time capsules. I used to do uh, radio shows. I used to have a little tape recorder radio thing that I got bought as a present. And I used, I suppose it's the same thing, that mm. wanting to experiment with a thing like that. Yeah. No one heard my, I used to go and play my radio shows to my poor parents. They don't <laughs> tears. But now you can actually broadcast it. It's sort of crazy. Now you can, you'd put it straight on the internet. Yeah. Well, it's like how the stuff that got me into comedy, we used to make videos and show it to our mates. Mm. I think if it was a few years later, 10 years later, we would have been YouTube stars, maybe. Yeah. And we, we probably would have made a lot more money than we did through <laughs> telly. But I think that it's it's great when kids do stuff like that. I, I like the fact that it's available to them now. Yes. I, yeah. I really think it's an improvement on the world we lived in. I think so, yeah, yeah. As long as you keep an eye on where it goes yeah. and you put the parameters on it, then, yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. But I'm going to put you <laughs> be no membership in there. Yes, Dennis please. the Menace Club. I need to keep that safe. Okay, I'm going to say it to you. I'm going to say, ding. Dong. Thank you. Are you a member, though? Because I'm not sure that was legally allowed. <laughs> uh, well, I just wanted to give you the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I've been waiting a long time for that. <laughs> okay, we've got two more to go. Yes, I think... Ah, okay. 
the full my, I'm going to say English but full breakfast a full fried breakfast uh, which is a variable thing depending on which country you're in exactly mm. and I think it's a very in England I think it's about as variable as it comes just within England as well because it's, a lot of people would argue over this I'm not one for being sort of some people get very cross about alterations in an English breakfast and what should or shouldn't be there yeah I, I'm I'm much more open and I love <laughs> I adore a full English breakfast. I probably eat more than I should. Uh, um, well, only an idiot doesn't. Yes, exactly. It's one of life's great pleasures, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. I would travel for a breakfast <laughs> happily. I, I, it's become a bit of an obsession. It's not quite as much as it was, but there used to be a little group of us on Facebook who would share our breakfast pictures with each other. Oh, right. And then sort of, not critique them, but in- gently encourage each other. Mm-hmm. There are places on Facebook where you can get your picture of a breakfast completely slated by random strangers, <laughs> like quite brutally. <laughs> I'm not into that. I'm a live and let live kind of guy. But if I was to choose something to go in the capsule on that plate, mm-hmm. it would probably involve bacon, sausage, black pudding, fried eggs, tomatoes, and toast or fried slice. I'm actually quite easy yeah. either way. I, I notice no beans. I take them. You'll take them. Once again, I, I take them. You're not a pedant. Yes, I'm not fussed, but I, it's not necessarily something I'd go for straight away. But I happily take beans as well. And on top of that, I'd have mushrooms, I'd have bubble and squeak, mm-hmm. I would have hash browns. Some people get very angry about hash browns as an American interloper. <laughs> How dare they? Um, yes. But I take those, you know. I'm, I'm, yeah? I, I like food, <laughs> so I'm happy. The great thing about being an actor is occasionally you get to stay in hotels. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, location filming, usually, if you're at the beginning of the day, you miss out on the hotel breakfast, but then you get catering. Yeah, exactly. I also I had a run of photos of catering uh, <laughs> breakfast, on-set catering <laughs> breakfast too. Um, you can get some really good ones. You can get some quite bad ones. As yes. Well. <laughs> yeah, if I've got a run of work somewhere abroad or or just not away from home, staying at a hotel, yeah. I love to go and check the breakfast out. I've got a friend, James Bartman. I don't know if you know James, but he... Yes, I do, yeah. Originally, I remember seeing him in um, Mitchell and Webb on the radio. Yes, Fantastic. exactly, yes. Yeah, and writer of that as well. Mm. Brilliant, funny friend of mine. But he, um, everywhere he goes, I think this is right, it's, it's either the scrambled egg or the omelette. He always orders because... If they get that right, then he knows it's good. Very you know good. I mean, it's like a little, almost like a little test. He also loves omelets, so that's good as well. <laughs> well he spent a lot of time in in LA, hasn't he? That's right. Yeah, the, the, I'd say America is the land of cooking eggs. They'll cook an egg any way you want. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> yeah, but I had a, I had a run of staying in filming in Japan, so I was staying in quite a posh hotel in Japan for a month and a bit. Mm. And there, the filming was never too early, so I would be down for breakfast every morning. I got some weird and wonderful combinations in there. <laughs> I think I might be the only man that really mixed up the sort of Japanese breakfast bar with because by you know day thirty you're you're mixing it up. <laughs> so I was having like English bacon with a load of sort of Japanese mushrooms and rice with some miso on top a and an sushi. egg, and a bit of everything thrown on. It was delicious. <laughs> but I actually made a video of. All- I was posting a breakfast picture every day uh, yeah. from Japan on Facebook. I didn't do it on Twitter because I, I can't, I don't want the aggro. I don't want uh, no. breakfast <laughs> anger. 
But I actually turned that into a little video with a little bit of Japanese music under it and put that on YouTube so everyone could see day one today, whatever it was, breakfast. It's quite a depressing day where I just had a, I think it was an energy drink and a protein bar because I was so hungover. I didn't leave the (laughs) hotel room that morning (laughs) in time. It works on Instagram. I know that Richard Coles does it. Yes. Yes. Like it. I think that actually seeing that in the morning, you, you get a sense of somebody being somewhere, having an adventure, and this is how I start the day. Absolutely. And it gets you going for the day as well. It gets you up. And when I was in Japan, especially, I would go and have the world's biggest breakfast there Mm. and then just walk Tokyo. I would just walk Tokyo. I had a load of days off in the middle and it was brilliant. It kept me going till sort of supper time or sort of halfway through the Ah. afternoon. It was fantastic. Yeah. And it's strangely enough, though, it's not a thing that you do at home, is it? Some people do, but I never really, I think just occasionally on a Sunday, I might say, should we have a, a proper breakfast? And it's very rarely the full thing as well. Mm. Like I might do some eggs and bacon, yeah. but it's rare that I these days will dig out every ingredient. I'll have every ingredient in to do that. <laughs> Quite. But if, if anyone's interested, the best, I think, breakfast in London, it's not cheap. It's the Hawksmoor steak restaurant breakfast is, I think, the ultimate breakfast in London. Mm. It's very expensive, <laughs> but it's amazing. <laughs> it's the only place I've ever seen that has bacon pork chops. Oh, wow. As part of the breakfast. It's it's insane. It's yeah. very good. Very, very good. I did stay in a hotel once where they said, kidneys, sir? Yes. And I went, oh, good Lord. Oh, yeah, I? now you're talking. Yeah, mm. that's, yeah. I haven't had a kidney outside a pie for some time. <laughs> <laughs> no, quite. I went, mm, no, I don't think so. Thanks very much. I remember having kidneys a lot growing up. I mean, we, were, we weren't poor, poor, but, you know, we had, like, these things that now seem ancient. We would have stuffed hearts. Mm-hmm. Once every couple of weeks, we'd have kidneys quite a lot, barbecued kidneys. <laughs> I don't, you, know, I told, you tell people that they make you sound like you were in Victorian sort of slum or something. <laughs> and no, it's just the eighties. <laughs> Both of my parents are now vegetarian, which says a lot. <laughs> Probably driven that way. I think yeah. they got sick of awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I once stayed in a hotel, the same hotel, for three months, and I did turn into Adam Partridge. Yeah. Breakfast finished at 10, and I would turn up there at 10. Right. They would say, well, it's closed, really, but as we know who you are, in you yes. go. So yes. quite often I would go in in my dressing gown. Amazing. And I did get to the point of having my own plate. <laughs> That's fantastic. We used to, um, I filmed, we used to film a lot in Maidstone Studios, mm. which is where Vic and Bob's company were based. So, yeah. And I, I filmed a lot with them over the years. So anything they filmed, they'd do down there. So I ended up staying at the hotel around the corner from there a lot but not as much as one guy who stayed there. He wasn't working on our show. So I, I won't name the show he was working on because he was going a little bit crazy. <laughs> He'd been there, I think, for months and months and months. Mm. And there's not much there. There's the hotel, there's the studio, and I think a Tesco's. And it's sort of in the, it's not in Maidstone proper. It's just outside. So yeah. he didn't really have anywhere to go. And it got to the point where he got so sick of the menu, he was... He was slightly losing his mind. He'd get drunk quite a lot at night and play the piano to everyone, play these really sad songs. And we were like, oh, God, it's that guy again. But he said, yeah, he got so sick of the menu, he wandered to Tesco's and he just wanted to cook something. He really was desperate to cook something. So he came back and he he cooked a pizza in the trouser press. In this hotel room. And we said, what really went, yeah, I... I I made a mess of it. It didn't work. <laughs> but, like, the desperation of that same menu, that same Hilton yeah. curry, Caesar salad, it was, like, the same five things. Absolutely. He couldn't do it anymore, so he just decided to <laughs> ruin a trouser press. 
I worked on Benidorm. There was someone who worked on Benidorm from the very first episode to the very last episode. That's 10 series, so mm. 10 years of work, and was there the whole time, so seven months wow. over the... Yeah, and stayed in the same room in the same hotel <laughs> right. for the entire time. Yeah, but I, I can see myself... That's the sort of thing that I'd end up doing, and i choose it because I get... There's something about... I don't know. I don't know if all actors are like this, but you get a bit weird... <laughs> we're all a bit weird and you do find yourself getting into little habits and yeah. this is why i don't go and not that anyone wants me but this is why i can't really go and do a big west end show because the habit forming of that would be i'd be nuts i'd be <laughs> i would go mad because i do it enough when i'm shooting where it's not you know the days are quite changeable and movable yeah i could see myself getting into a pattern of no 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 you always go in before me through the door yes no yeah, exactly. I, I, no I, yeah, yeah. hang on a minute I, yeah. I, I i never step on the third step <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah i could see it all happening mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay did you stay in the i never did benadorm i always wanted to i think i was going to go out for a concert but did you stay in the hotel you filmed in or... no we didn't know we stayed no, in a no, different okay. one but a lot of people booked into that hotel because they expected to see everybody there filming ah. we did film around the pool there yeah. But everything right. else was in sets. So. Yes, yeah, yeah, of course. I think I went up for it once or twice, never got the pass. No. Not to worry. I've done other stuff. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> You've been all right with a few other things. So Yeah. But I do love a little sunny a little sunny holiday Who filming. It's the best. Who doesn't like a job where they say, yeah. Oh, I'm afraid you've got to go and stay in a villa for three months. Yeah. Death in Paradise has not called me. I I've What? I've I know I've met I know the creator a bit. Just let them know. I'm very much <laughs> up for this. Like I, surely the dream it, I, I love talking lazy actor because because it's, I, I love working hard as well, but sometimes you just want an easier time. And the dream for a lazy actor there surely is to be the one that's killed, but they need to keep the body around for autopsy reasons, so that you're kind of, you're there for the full filming of the episode. Yes. But you don't have to any lines. You can just have a nice nap. We, we've all had those jobs, and they are fantastic. I mean, Afterlife was a bit like that. Right, ad time, unless you support my time capsule by subscribing to Acast Plus, in which case this podcast is ad-free. Either way, we won't be long, so see you shortly. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Let's continue my lovely chat with the actor Tony Way and find out along the way what else he'd like in his time capsule. Afterlife was a bit like that. Not in that I was asleep every day, but the schedule that Ricky keeps is quite—it's—it's it's quite loose and quite. You know, you're home by four p.m. Right, and you get all the work done there. You get it done, but there's just sort of this thing of, well, we've done it. Should we go home? We don't need to keep shooting this. We've got it done. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. And you—that spoils you. My God, you finish that and you go on to something that's got a bit of action in it, or something's on a boat or something. Or in fact, somebody who feels that they have to fill the time. Exactly, and mm. you go. We're working how late? And they go, that's normal. We go, oh, Christ, yeah, it's because of Ricky again. It's ruined us all for filming. So that's good. He knows when he's got it, does he? He knows. He says, that's it. That's it. That's funny. Because he, he's the writer. He's in it. And he will be doing the edit. And he's the director. Mm-hmm. He knows when he's got it. So Perfect. And he can also micro-direct. Because there's a lot of corpsing on that, <laughs> on his stuff in general. Mostly from him, <laughs> but from everyone. So he can sometimes he's micro directing you down to one word at a time, just oh, so that he can idea. piece together a scene. <laughs> but because he knows what he hasn't got and what he needs, it's yeah. But you work hard, but you just get it done. It's quite an interesting way of doing it. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's a, yeah. It's a lovely idea. It's beautifully done mm. and beautifully shot. But you'd never anticipate that becoming well. Just about the most successful show in the world. Um, it's crazy. I think it is officially the biggest. British comedy in the world, yeah, now. Incredible. I mean, only incredible in the sense that you just don't expect it. We didn't expect it. Of a British comedy. We didn't expect it at all. No, no, it's kind of crazy, that. Because also, you have a lot of fun on that set, so it doesn't feel like you're doing something hard all of the time. Although some of the scenes are, you know, tricky to film and quite dark and quite sad, but you don't ever feel like you're putting in a, you know, hard shift. You feel like you're kind of doing something almost... It feels like it's light because of the way you, yeah. the day's going, but you do forget that we rehearse quite a lot. So it's but all... and in the playing of it, you know, the playing yeah. of it is very just let it happen. Yeah, I think by the time we get on set, you are you, you've you're not quite at play level, but you've you know what you're doing, mm. and you're involved. We're all involved in the process of when he's writing it as well. He talks to us, he phones us up, and says I've got a good joke for you, and tells uh-huh. you, and then he lets you come back with, oh, well, then that might happen, and you know, right to the point where I was literally saying to Ricky, can I be in that scene? <laughs> and he was like, why? I went, I just want to see that happen. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't want any lines. So don't you don't have to pay me more for that bit? But I really want to be there for when. Well, my favourite, without a doubt, I for years did a radio series with Andy Hamilton mm. and Annette Crosby. Yes, and she was so wonderful. She's such a brilliant actress. But her performance in Afterlife is just one of the It's extraordinary. Amazing. Well, I got to be there for that. I was very happy with that. Oh. I, I'm, I'm very lucky in that show because I get to get about, not as much as Ricky. Ricky obviously gets to meet and see everyone in it. Mm. But doing the newspaper stuff means that I get to go along with him quite a bit to meet these 
weird and wonderful people. And nine times out of ten, they're just amazing actors. You know, yeah. Ricky's. I think people forget how good Ricky's at casting. I mean, I would say that because he cast me. But you know, yeah, but no, he, brilliant at casting. I think because yeah. actually he's very good at remembering that people have done good things. Exactly. You know, for example, I would cite Kate Robbins. Brilliant. Who? Yeah. You know, for years simply did voice work. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody forgotten what a good actress she is. She. I mean, Ricky had her because I'm always me and the sort of the usual cast are, are involved not writing it but you know we're asked to be involved which is lovely mm. so he does say things like that he'll he will know he knew that he wanted kate to do that to the point where he says oh that's kate robbins mm. long before you could see sort of a casting director going well we haven't asked anyone yet okay well we'll go and <laughs> find them yeah out. well i don't think they've got any worry though have they? yeah well exactly yeah mm. yeah it's it's sort of like he does write for people he thinks of people and then mm. not all every character but it's nice no i think it's very nice i mean i have to say i though i've only met ricky once i thought he was charming delightful he's lovely yeah he's a good boss and a number of times i've said you know rather cheekily you know he comes he's performed in tumbridge wells and i've got in touch with him through his assistant and said right if you're sitting around in the hotel i I could just come along and we could talk about things you want to put in a time capsule anytime you like (laughs) absolutely and to his great credit he's actually directly replied and said it sounds like a lovely idea i think i need to rest Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's an old man now. He's getting off. <laughs> old he, he's def- jumping up, doing all those controversial jokes every night. You've got to have, have your rest. <laughs> That's hard work, that, you know. <laughs> Feeding the mob. <laughs> exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't quite remember how we got on to Ricky, but he always comes up at some point. No, uh, it's all people in that position will always have their detractors. We'll always have people who knock them and criticise what they do. And I always think that underneath it, you have to remember these are just absolutely normal people. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. to a large extent, nice people. Yeah, and and also, most of the time, it's a joke, normally a joke, mm. that's got people under people's skin, I guess. Well, yes, we should move on, otherwise you're going yes. to be... I think that came from my Funglish breakfast. I can't remember what that was. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> it's extraordinary where these conversations go. <laughs> The, the catering on Afterlife, just to bring it back to that, was absolutely delicious. They'd bring out a barbecue once a week and have a proper barbecue grill going on, which was very good. Very yeah. good. I always put on a bit of weight on filming. Oh, uh, don't we all? Yes. <laughs> no chance to exercise and lots of chance to snack. And almost within an hour of them having fed you this enormous breakfast, somebody will be coming round and saying, I've got the uh, the lunch menu. Do you want to decide yes. what you want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while, <laughs> while I'm here, would you like something from the cake tray? It's kind of <laughs> insane. Yeah. And people say acting is easy. I know. It's hell. <laughs> uh, and talking of hell, Tony, we have to move on to one thing you're going to put in there because you oh, want to I get rid of it. Oh, I think we've only, we've only oh, we've done, done three, haven't we've we? We've done three. We've got another one, haven't we? Yeah, I've just waffled on too much. No, I'm no, so it's sorry. my fault. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's uh, ah my record collection. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Have you still got it? Very much so, yeah. I still buy. Um, I haven't bought as many in the last few years as I was. I was getting out of hand a mm. bit. But it's everything from when I was a child all the way through. I've got the lot. I've never lost a single record, including my pe- all of my parents' stuff. Wow. They passed it on. My dad's got some good stuff as well. He liked good music. Although he's, his claim is they were stolen by a mover from one house to another. But all of his Beatles disappeared at some point. His Beatles and a load of other stuff went 
Right. Mysteriously, and that would have been like a good box. And how old is your dad? So just to get a my dad's uh, late sixties. Right. I how old he is. <laughs> so he may well have had the like originals. Oh, these would have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. So they've gone, but I've got them all since anyway because I can't stop yeah. buying everything. <laughs> um, I've got about a thousand, I think, LPs. It's a good job you got rid of those beanos. I know. It's a good job we bought a house as well because it was taking over the flat. Yeah, I mean, if I could, I have, I am the master of sort of incomplete collections. I will, yeah, I think I had like a thousand records sounds a lot to a collector at Small Beans. It's, it's nothing. <laughs> I had like 20 odd beano annuals. Once again, it's a lot of beano annuals. Yeah. Not to a collector. You know, I'm quite good at having these sort of semi collections of things. Yeah. I don't th- actually don't think of my records as a collection. It's just that was how I bought music, and then I, that's how I decided to continue buying music. And you don't feel the need to sort of fill the gaps? I do a bit. Mm. You have to focus laser-guidedly on one area, otherwise you will go insane. <laughs> so I became quite a, I got. I wanted all of the Beatles, and I didn't really care. It didn't have to be ultra-rare and old, and I had quite a lot of it anyway because I'm a big fan. But I just wanted the main albums, and once I had those, I bought a few extra ones. And then you go, well, there's all the stuff that they did solo, and then there's the bands, and then mm-hmm. and then suddenly one shelf is just Beatles and Beatles side projects. And, <laughs> and then I got quite into buying... It's quite hard, weirdly. The, some of the rarest stuff is not from when you'd expect, but it's from the late 90s and the early to mid-2000s. No one was making or buying records. So actually, unless you bought it at the time, it's quite rare. Yeah. That Britpop stuff and all of that sort of thing, it's actually, despite them being some of the biggest bands in the world and them selling, everyone was buying it on CD. Right, of course. I got. I'm a big fan of a band called the Super Fairy Animals, yeah. Welsh sort of Brit poppy. But they'd hate to be called Brit pop, but you know, indie band. But there, you'd see some of their albums going for seven hundred, eight hundred pounds on eBay. Whether anyone ever paid that, I doubt. But yeah, so I got quite into that for a bit until those prices started coming up. <laughs> Different. Hang but on a yeah, minute. No, I've sectioned it though. It is like a record shop. I've got jazz section, hip hop, reggae, rock. There. There's various artists section, yeah. film, film score, odd, spoken word. I've got it all Latin. Comedy. Comedy. I think comedy and spoken word is in one right. chunk from memory, but mm-hmm. I might need to split that up because it was getting a bit big. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've got this house just a year ago, so we're, there's things to do in it. But the first big treat we gave ourselves was to get some, we've always wanted some lovely, you know, the lovely inbuilt shelving units you have either side of a fireplace. Mm. We've got those. And the main thing I did was, because they normally, you're shelving, you don't have it too high. We'd make it book size. And I said, Mm -hmm. can we please have one side, 13 inches, please? That's enough room for the 12 inch and an inch above to pull it in and out. Yeah, yeah. And that's where they live. So when you listen to music, do you listen to it on vinyl? You know what? Not as much as I did because of having a toddler and Uh. I don't own enough toddler music on vinyl to make that happen. (laughs) But... Yeah, up until a couple of years ago, oh, if I could, I'd just put albums on. Yeah. And also, I feel like if I'm going to buy a stack of records, I have to listen to them. Otherwise, what am I doing? I'm just collecting things to put on a wall otherwise. Yeah, it's... yeah. But I, I'm not a sort of Luddite. I love Spotify. I wish they'd pay the artists a bit better. Mm-hmm. But I, I use Apple Music and I occasionally still buy a CD, but not so much now. No. No, in fact, now you can pick up CDs for nothing. 
just I've just reminded myself that I do own about 500 CDs and they're all in storage somewhere. At some point, I'm going to have to clear them out. I just had them get that carpenter back. (laughs) Yes, yeah. I had a rush of cold blood down the back of my neck as I was like, oh, God. (laughs) But I loved my CDs and I, but there is something about the old vinyl. I do love it. Mm. I think it might just be because that's what I grew up with, I guess. Well, also, there's a way that you listen to an album, which is Mm. different to a CD. Anything where you can go, no, next, and just yeah. press a button and yeah. it goes to the next thing. Yeah. But on a, an album, that's hard work. It's a focused listen, I think. It can, be, it can be background music, but there's something about the size of it. It makes you think about what you're putting on. And and then also you tend to sit down and start looking at the album cover, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. The liner notes and, and the lyrics and the pictures. Mm. That's what I used to spend all of my time doing when I listened to music as a kid and as a teenager and into my 20s. I would just sit there just sort of looking at all of the stuff. It's part of the, it was part of the experience. Then I suppose videos took over a bit more. But yeah, well, there was no way to watch a video in my bedroom. No. It was the music and that was it. <laughs> I could go down and put the telly on. But um, yeah, I love them. I want them saved in the time capsule so that they're not just left to my poor daughter <laughs> when I die one day. <laughs> I don't know what the hell. I do feel sorry for whoever has to sort of deal with my estate. I hope he doesn't expect me to listen to all this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But of course, I like the fact that it's generational as well, that you've still got your parents mm. and stuff in there. Exactly, yeah. And weirdly, Daisy's now got a couple of records on there. Right. She's got, um, there's a really nice compilation that's lots of old, I can't think of the name of the compilations, but they were quite famous. And like, there's a couple of Muppet songs on there. Right. It's really nice. Mm. She loves it. And you've got that opportunity as time goes by to start introducing into her things as she gets to certain ages. Yeah, control her tastes. That's the yeah. plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't thinking it necessarily no. in those terms. No, but... yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely, yeah. But they're mostly mine and no one else is allowed to touch them. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> my, my lovely, lovely records are all in order. Yeah. <laughs> I read the other day that for the first time for many years, vinyl outsold CDs. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's right. I don't buy as much new stuff. I do buy it, but... I'm a sort of second-hand record collector, really. Mm. Nothing like... There was a point where I lived in very hip and trendy Hackney, and I would go on a Saturday, if the timing was right and all these things collided, I would go to Broadway Market, and there's a little indoor record shop there. I would go to the record stall on Broadway Market. Mm -hmm. I would then go down to the top of Columbia Road where there was a new record shop that sold American imports. I'd spend a lot of money in there. Two record shops on Columbia Road, <laughs> then cross over, and I'd be on Brick Lane, three record shops on Brick Lane, including a stall, and then you'd be at Spitalfields, and if it was the right day, the record fair was on. Oh. And that would take me eight hours <laughs> I could yes. do that. Yeah, and end up in the pub with friends. Oh. That's another part of it, to be honest. I've got a, a few friends. Um, we haven't done it for a while. I think lockdown knocked us out of doing it a bit, but we'd meet up at Spitalfields and buy a load of records, go to the pub, Mm -hmm. have a few beers and just show each other what we'd bought and just talk about that and have some fish and chips or something. It was a genuinely lovely, very middle-aged sort of old farts day. (laughs) (laughs) But we loved it. When I was a kid, when a new album came out, we would gather at the first person to buy its house Mm. and we would all sit and listen to it. Right. And that that's a strange thing. You listen right the way through one side, and you listen right the way through the other. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing that, we're, that we don't do so much now. Like, I can't remember the last time I sat and listened to a new thing with someone. Mm. Even when we have these 
record buying days. We all then go to the pub and have a drink and talk about records, but we don't all sit and listen to them together anymore. And of course, you didn't hear the record. Mm. This is a weird thing. I don't. I can't quite work out when that changed. That actually, you only heard the record when it was released. Mm. They didn't pre-play it on the radio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. for months and months, a song yeah. would be played and played and played, and then it's released, yeah. and then it goes to number one. Yeah. Whereas they used to release an album or release a single, and the day it was released, it was played on the radio. So, in fact, if you went out and bought it that day, you would be listening to something you'd never heard before. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, mm. I think the only time I ever do that now, really, is buying stuff at record fairs, because... You don't know necessarily what it is and you no. haven't necessarily heard it. I mean, I could probably check it out somewhere, mm. but I quite like that bit of mystery. What's this going to sound like? But I remember going to, into town with a mate of mine. We bought a night of the opera, Queen, mm. and yeah, came yeah. back and listened to it in his house because his parents were out so we could turn yes. it up loud. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And we'd not heard any of the songs on it. No, yeah. It's a good album, that. Great album. I've been, I was done to death with Queen by my very good and close friend Reese Thomas. He is a Queen fanatic and he used to make us listen to a lot. <laughs> I love I like Queen. That much Queen can put you off a bit. <laughs> Enough with the harmonies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a lovely thing to own. I have to say rather shamefacedly that I got rid of a, a load of albums because we had a, a shop nearby us, bottom of my road, basically, that dealt with second-hand albums and I thought... They're just sitting there. They're fair I enough. I don't play them. I got to the point where I didn't have anything to play them on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's fair enough. I mean, it's if I don't start playing them properly again within the year, I would start thinking about maybe trimming it down. Mm-hmm. But I intend to play them a lot more, whether my toddler likes it or not. She <laughs> will listen. Well, they're all there. They're all safe in the time capsule. So that's Fantastic. That's the four things we're going to put in the time capsule that we're going to keep safe. We're going to put something now that you want to put in there so you can forget it. Now, you're either going to jump at this and agree, or you're going to say, that makes no logical sense, you'll never work again. <laughs> I want to put castings into the ground and never have to do one again in my life. Right, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, let's go down together. Come on, let's, let's, yeah. let's go down in flames. Why not? <laughs> I really enjoy them once I'm in there. Mm. Not, not, actually, that's not true. I sometimes really enjoy them when I'm in there. Sometimes <laughs> it's awful too. Um I can't think about anything else before a casting other than the casting. Mm. Some people just get on with their day and don't think about anything else and will have... I mean, I have to do that, obviously, but I know in the back of my head, I've got a casting coming up. You know, what's the the worst thing is I've got a casting and it's a massive speech and it's in a, I don't know, a Norwegian accent. <laughs> just, that's basically all I can think about. Yeah. It, and you know what? I hardly do okay out of castings. I do okay. And that it might be my hate and dread of them that makes that happen. Maybe the preparation then. Because I'm always thinking about them up until the second. And then the second it's over, it's the best <laughs> feeling. And actually, you know what? The minute I go in there and say, hello, it's the best feeling ever. And it's not nerves. It's just this sort of little itch that I can't scratch. Mm. Of, I've got a casting. And I'd rather almost be told the night before that I've got one than a week before. I know you get to prepare everything, but a week of thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Always... Tony, come now, quick. We've got a casting. Yes, great, fine. So little is expected of me if you've asked me this late. I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dream. 
This is, I mean, this is such a rarefied thing to complain about that uh, these bloody, all these bloody castings I keep getting asked in for. <laughs> I'm happy with the breakfast, but I hate the bloody castings. Yeah, they yeah. Are. I think that sums up the life of an actor, though. It is, that, and it's not the casting itself because they're always lovely and they're always fine. And I've had some bad ones, but not for a very long time. Mm. But it's that, yeah, it's that sort of waiting to do them and sitting in Leicester Square, just sort of going, oh. It's mumbling to myself. I feel, always feel the pressure that I've been to a few where I've walked out and thought, oh, you really cocked that up. You really did that badly. Why did you do mm. that so badly? <laughs> and they stick with you. Yeah, Even yeah. if it wasn't what they wanted, you should have at least gone in and done what you wanted. Quite, yeah. Most people who don't have to go to auditions, I think the only way you can describe what it's like is, I mean, it's like doing a job interview every free week <laughs> yes, or, imagine all that pressure of trying to get a job but you're just doing it all of the time i once talked to a man on the train going into london and he looked very nervous and i said to me all right and he said yeah now i've got a job interview and i went oh, oh right okay are you unemployed at the moment he said i am i've been unemployed for two months i went oh right <laughs> he said and i've been for two others and i didn't get them and i said hmm yeah i'm going into town for a job interview and he went oh right what, what do you do i said i'm an actor he said, oh. I said, yeah, it's, it's my fourth this week, and I didn't get any of the other three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a very different attitude, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think it's the hardest part of the job, personally. I think it is the, the not working, the promise of work that mm -hmm. may or may not be there. It's yeah. kind of – and I also always invent a thousand excuses in my head why I can't go straight away. <laughs> Every time I'm offered a job, it's like, well, I couldn't possibly. After spending, like, you could be out of work for six months, and the minute you get an offer, you go, well, I couldn't do that. What are you talking about? It's, just, it's so weird. My brain, I think actors' brains for that sort of stuff, it's kind yeah. of, yeah, it's odd. Uh, but once, like I say, I, I've nothing against casting directors. They're all lovely. And I, the actual casting itself is normally okay these days, although I had some shockers. When I used to go out for ads more yeah. in the olden days, you'd walk in and there would be, it's always a corridor, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And there's a load of seats on each side. And I'd walk in and nine times out of 10, it would be 10 blokes that look exactly like me on one side and 10 really skinny short blokes on the other side. And it'd be like, <laughs> oh, it's fatty and skinny again. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. And I never got them. I was always, I don't know if I just, my disdain couldn't be. <laughs> I think I got like two adverts the whole time. I've got this very strange experience now in later life that I keep bumping into actors who tell me that in the days when we used to go up for lots of adverts when we were younger, that they, they used to sit there and then I would walk in and they would go, oh, shit. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I said, why? And they said, well, we all knew you were going to get it. Right, and yeah, actually, yeah. when I look back at it, I was bloody good at getting adverts. Yeah, yeah. I could never figure the formula out. I could get parts. Mm -hmm. I could get parts in shows all day long, films, adverts. I really struggled. I think also there's something, as I've always been overweight, that, that it does limit you with adverts because most brands don't really want <laughs> a fat guy being the face of their no. thing. So you can kind of be the funny bloke in sometimes, but it limits it quite a lot. I went out for loads of booze, beer adverts, and mm -hmm. actually the beer companies go, well, we don't want people to think our beer makes you fat. No. And you go, well, of course you don't. Why would no. you? I, and I if you've done one, that's it. Yeah. You're not going to do any more. But I was doomed to failure with loads of them. I got some. I got a run of them where I got them and it, for some reason, didn't work out. And one of them was a beer ad. Mm. And they cast me. They didn't realise I was under 21. Oh. So that I got that and lost that. And then I got one 
for a car that was going to be a lovely ad to do. And it was all filming in Tuscany. Yeah. And I got a personal message from the director saying, he can't wait to work with you and all this stuff. <laughs> and I was looking at the script thinking, this is going to be like an hour's work over this whole week. Yeah. This is going to be amazing. And just as a sort of, I had a lovely conversation with the agent. And just as a passing thing, she said, so get, you know, get your passport ready. And I went, oh, I can't remember the last time I updated my passport. Oh, no. Rushed home, out of date, by a month. Oh, my God. Absolutely no chance of getting a new one before flying out to Tuscany to film. And it went it went before my eyes. Oh, I mean, now God. it's, you know, I'm over it. But that yeah, was a yeah, year. yeah. It was like a year of going, I could have really done with that money and <laughs> visit to Tuscany. Oh, I have done that. I've cut it fine like that. That happened to me once, and I did go and queue up at Petit France. Right, yeah. I yeah. got it done in a day. Yeah, they wouldn't let me for some reason. I couldn't do that. And it would have had to have gone to Belfast. Oh, my God. To get a passport. And it just wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to work out. You know, it was all going to be a nightmare. But like I say, I'm quite good at castings. And I quite enjoy them when I'm in there. But I wish I didn't have to do them. <laughs> I wish that I could just get the parts. Uh, yeah, well, I, I'm happy to put them in there because we've all had nightmares. Yes. I, I look back at my younger self and think, why didn't you learn the lines better? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. I've been into them in the past where I now look back and go, the conceit. Like, what do? You, why didn't you just learn it? You yeah. had all day to at least have a go. Yeah. I, that's one thing I do do now. I do learn it a bit. I mean, because of the American influence now of filming, mm. you kind of have to do that, don't yeah, you? Yeah. It's, it's a different ball game now. Yeah. Mel Smith, a long time ago, told me that he was casting for a film and all these major Hollywood stars were coming up for it. And it was period costume. And mm. Michelle Pfeiffer, they said, is outside and would like to see you. And he said, well, we haven't called her. They said, I know, but you really should see her. And so they said, okay. And she came in and she was in full period costume. Wow. And had learnt the entire script. That's insane. That's crazy. Mm. I mean, she really wanted that part. She really wanted the part. Or maybe she didn't. Perhaps she just did that for all. That was just... Maybe that's why she succeeded. That's the drive. Yeah, yeah. I remember going up for the LEG film. Mm. which I was it I got I didn't realize they'd cast me about five castings before oh no but they kept bringing me in because they were trying to find the part that Martin Freeman got in the end they were trying to find that guy so I kept coming in and then one day I went in there and yeah guy had turned up dressed as like a blue Ali G because in the film there's like a the yellow gang and the blue gang. And he'd sort of, he obviously couldn't afford it, but he had cut out like Nike switches and feeler <laughs> things and stuck them, printed them out and stuck them all over him. And he was in character in the, wow. I don't think he got a part in it. From no. I think it was, it no. didn't quite work the same. Yeah, Maybe that's the difference between an English casting and an American casting. They yeah. like that sort of commitment, I think. In yeah, America. yeah. This was a little bit embarrassing. But as we go, <laughs> hang on a minute. No, yeah. I, yeah. Um, I turned up for a casting once where they were looking for somebody who looked a bit like Sherlock Holmes and a mm. man in full deerstalker pipe the lot <laughs> sitting right. in the waiting room. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. Mm. You can do it subtly, though, because I do... If, if the character's supposed to be a bit smart, then, yeah, comb your hair. And mm-hmm. you don't have to go in a bow tie, but, you know, it's <laughs> probably go in, you know, not in flip-flops and <laughs> yeah, whatever. Quite. 
And now I'm talking myself around. I'm, I enjoy casting. Maybe I should keep the castings back out. I'm quite <laughs> remembering how much fun they can be. I'm going to put that feeling in, that feeling that you have before you go in, yes, that, that yeah, dread. Yeah. And we'll put that in there and it's going to disappear. And, and castings from now on will be a breeze. But not the work. I want, the, I want to keep the work. Keep the work, yeah. Keep the castings <laughs> oh, coming, thank you very much. And how lovely are all casting directors. We're very fond of them. They are the best bit about the whole process. <laughs> you lying bastard. <laughs> Tony, how brilliant. How brilliant to talk to you and to meet you, actually. You too. I'm amazed we've never uh, crossed paths. On, so am I. Because uh, we've both worked on everything, so <laughs> between us. <laughs> Extraordinary well, we've never crossed paths. The chances are, next week we'll walk into a casting. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and hopefully you'll go, oh... Fuck, not him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tony, keep well. Lovely to see you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Nice to meet you, Mike. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Tony Way. Thank you very much for listening. Now, please do subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, which won't take long, I promise you, unless your review is, of course, in novel form. And feel free to join me and my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for plenty of my time capsule stuff, and in my case, grandkids and the odd political rant, nearly always followed by an apology. It's also the best way to get in touch with us, in fact, to find out what's coming up and to suggest possible future guests you'd like to hear on my time capsule. We always like to hear from people, so please do that. If you enjoy the theme tune to My Time Capsule, then you can download and stream it on Spotify by searching for Pass the Peas music. I haven't the faintest idea what I'm talking about. Now, if you want to hear this podcast ad-free, then follow the link in the description of each episode to subscribe to Acast Plus for a very small monthly fee. This was a cast-off production for Acast, and it was produced by John Fenton Stevens. Right, I shan't waste your time with one of my ridiculous jokes or rambling stories or even a song i'll let you get on with your day and cheer you on the way with a thought from the comedian andy field who said i like to imagine that the guy who invented the umbrella was going to call it umbrella but he hesitated i hope that keeps you smiling as you go about your business unless of course you're an undertaker in which case it might look a little bit weird keep well bye Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.